As we get into Unchained today, uh, I got to tell you just kind of a moment that happened. It was years ago. It was probably 2003 or 2004, okay, around about that time. My wife and I got our cell phone bill. We opened up the envelope, and inside it was advertising a brand new you know, product. Uh, you might have heard of it, text messaging. You remember this thing? Text messaging. It was kind of a flash in the pan thing that happened years ago. I remember I got the thing, and the ad was for uh, this amazing trial offer, very generous offer, 25 free texts. Yeah, I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Actually, when I first saw it, I'm like, what would I ever use this for? I don't, I mean, I have email already, and I have phones. Like, why would I need this thing where I can talk to people with typing words on my phone? Uh, but, I, you know, 25 free texts. Some of my friends had told me about it. I said, hey, we'll give it a whirl. So we dove in both feet. We're like, hey, let's rock these 25 free texts. Whatever will I ever say? And so I remember one of my first texts I ever sent was to my wife. I was headed home from work, and I just wanted her to know. And I was like, oh, this would be an opportunity to try that thing. And so I tried to send her the message uh, on my way home or see you soon or something like that. But it takes like four minutes because I wasn't very good at, you know, pushing all the number buttons over and over until you find the right letter. You remember that? And I finally sent it, and I remember I sent it, and I just was like, I waited for a second, and I'm like, how do I know if she got it? Like, when, what, what happens? Is there like a ring on the other end? Is she going to reply back? We haven't discussed this in advance. I don't know what the ethics are. And so, I'm sending, so then I did like the most untext thing ever. I, I called her. I was like, hey, did you get my message? I sent, I sent you one of those text things. Yeah. She's like, yeah, I saw that. I'm like, I don't know if you're supposed to reply or what. So I remember like seeing those things and like, this will never, this will never take off. Like, this is stupid. This is so dumb. Boy, was I wrong. Um, Text messaging is like, like the world's number one form of communication right now. Uh, I did absolutely no research to verify that. I have no idea. But among me and my friends, it's like the number one way that we, we talk. We've got group texting, which if you're in one of those things, you're like, oh, man, why don't they shut up? Don't they know I'm at work? And all these things go on. And texting has just blown up. Now, here's the thing. If you remember when it first began, uh, it didn't take off super fast. It takes culture a while to catch up with technology, doesn't it? And this has been true with all kinds of technology. Computers were that way and the internet. I've talked to my kids, and, and when they understand that there was absolutely no internet in my house when I was a kid, it blows their mind. They're like, well, where did you ask all your questions? Like, we just didn't know anything. We had no idea. We had no idea who won, who won the World Series back in, you know, whatever year. I had no idea. Um, and so, you know, it took a while for internet to catch on. You know, Al Gore and the government were keeping it safe for a little while. And, but then it caught on because it takes culture a little while to catch up with technology. It takes a while for culture to shift. A telephone and television were the same way. When electric lights first became a thing, people didn't want them in their house. Because they didn't understand, like, how it worked. Like, what black magic is this? It's causing the lanterns to glow. You know, they didn't want it to do it. Uh, it takes culture a little while to catch up with change. Uh, I recently read a uh, biography on the Wright brothers, the, the fathers of flight in America, and uh, by this guy named David McCullough. Great book. I recommend it. But uh, as I read the book, I became aware of public perception of aviation in those early years. You know, early on, it, it was never anybody's thought that this would take off as a mess you know, transportation system. It was like entertainment. It was like flying a kite or going to a ball game. We'd watch the crazy people fly in the machines like, oh, that's neat. Maybe they'll crash like NASCAR. You know, it's, they, but it was never conceived that it would be like this thing that it has become today. People would say things, you know, like if we were meant to fly, God would have given people wings. But now we see what aviation has become. It takes culture a while to change. It takes a long time to turn a big ship around. And today, I bring up these cultural phenomenons to point out that culture is an interesting thing. It really is. It, it, when you live in a certain society, you're expected to act and do 
certain things, right? And this is the way things should be. And it takes a while to shift that culture. Uh, What happens is there are people who see a change, like text messaging or getting on airplanes for the first time or having TVs in their house, and they decide, I think I'll try that. And they become what we call counterculture. They begin kind of living a different way and showing other people that this can be done. This can be good. And what we see is that over time, a counterculture can change a culture. And so we see big changes. Like uh, in our society today, we see, we see words like slavery, uh, child, uh, child labor. We see like the, the, the caste system or the, the level system that so many cultures live in where there's second and third and fourth class citizens. And yes, we don't have it all figured out yet in America. But we do recognize that it is not looked highly upon those things. Why? Because at some point, back when it was culturally acceptable to do those types of things, there were a small group of people who said, enough is enough. We've got to stop this. And they began living counterculturally. And the counterculture began to change the culture. I want you to hold on to that thought because it's going to really come back. We're in week two of this Unchained series. It's a study through the book of Galatians uh, where we've just been kind of understanding this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote in the New Testament to a church in an area called Galatia, which is kind of modern-day Turkey. And he writes to these churches and some crazy messes going on. And if you missed that, I hope that you can check out uh, chapter one on our podcast. But basically, in, in chapter one and in week one of our series, we see Paul, uh, we, we get a backstory on his life as an apostle and kind of where he came from, how his journey from being uh, chained to the system of laws that the Jewish religion had and becoming unchained from that and understanding the grace of God. The underlying theme of the whole book of Galatians is freedom. Freedom. Uh, Galatians 5.1 says that it is for freedom that Christ set us free. And so we're unpacking this idea. In what ways are we free? And what have we become free from? And then Paul really uses some events from his own life to illustrate how God can change you. How he can transform you. How he can make you uh, from something that you were into something that he has designed. It's a beautiful picture. That was last week. But today as we pick up in chapter 2, we see Paul taking on the biggest challenge imaginable. Really, I really thought about it some this week, and maybe you could, you could put some things against this. But man, this is a big challenge. The big challenge that he kind of went through last week was changing of himself. Like, how can I grow? How can I change? But this week, we see him changing something else. He sees what it means to change a culture. It's huge because culture is hard to change. People act and believe and do and be certain things. And it's hard to convince them to do otherwise. If you've got a Bible today, I hope that you'll grab it, open it up. We'll be in Galatians chapter 2. It's in the New Testament. Flip it open on your phones and scroll down uh, or grab one of the Bibles from under your seats. Um, But we're going to be in Galatians chapter 2. And through Paul, we're going to see something about what Jesus does in someone's life that begins to impact other people. When someone becomes a Christian, there's a change. The standards that they live by change. There's different goals, things that used to seem so important suddenly become like silly to them. For example, Paul, his whole uh, pursuit in his life was to shut down Christianity. He was actually hunting down Christians and killing them. But then when you see Paul after his conversion, you think, man, that's crazy. I would never think Paul would have ever done that because this change begins happening in him. We started talking about how a subculture can change a culture. And there was a certain culture that Paul was involved in that he had to see change in. And then we'll see that as we look at Paul's backstory. The overall story of Christianity and Paul's backstory is a story of change. 
a story of how God can come in and rock the world and teach us how to live differently. And that the way we live isn't necessarily based on uh, cultural values, but on the values of God. And so we're going to look in Galatians chapter 2. If you want to go ahead and look over there right now. Starting at verse 1, we're going to read almost every verse in this chapter. And uh, let's just start. We're going to pick up actually right where we left off last week. Last week we saw Paul kind of doing a lot of traveling, and he's establishing his own faith as a Christian. And in chapter 2, verse 1, we see it continue. So uh, let's just go. He says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. Note, Barnabas is Paul's very good friend, one of his best friends, one of his biggest encouragers. He goes up to Jerusalem with Barnabas. He took Titus along also. Also note this, Titus is a Gentile, which is a person that doesn't have Jewish ancestry and Jewish religious beliefs. And so he's a Gentile. Verse 2. So he went to Jerusalem in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. All right, so let's just kind of unpack this passage and see where Paul's coming from and what in the world he's talking about, if you don't know kind of the background on what's going on here. The first thing we see is that about 15 years, actually closer to 17 years, has passed since Paul first became a Christian. And in that time period, Paul had some changing to do. He had some growing in his faith to do. He had to understand what it is that Jesus was calling him to and what his mission was. And I want to make sure that we don't miss what Paul's mission was. I briefly mentioned it last week, but this whole book of Galatians really, it really distinguishes Paul as an apostle from the other 12 apostles. And so let's just real quick take a look and make sure we understand what Paul's specific message and specific mission was. Uh, first, there were the original 12 apostles. Okay, there was Jesus, and he called these 12 men to basically be the leaders of his movement. And these original 12 apostles had a very distinct mission and a very distinct message, and it was to share the message of Jesus with the Jewish community and start the church among them. Now, I'm going to be using the phrase Jews and Gentiles several times in, in this lesson. And so uh, let's just distinguish what I'm saying here. Uh, Jews can be defined kind of in two ways. One is like ethnically, uh, like a regular racial thing. So your, your, uh, your heritage, your biology. Uh, and they were all people who descended from Abraham, which we read about in the Old Testament. These are the Jews, specifically in this case that we're talking about Jews who were not only like biologically descended from Abraham, but also their faith was the Jewish religion. Okay? So understand that. When I say Jews today, I'm talking about faith. Uh, in the Jewish religion and that whole system there. Then there were also the Gentiles. Okay, so first of all, we got to see that, Jew, uh, that, that, that the original 12 apostles had been forming the church. And they began in Jerusalem, and they're killing it. I mean, in the very first day of the church, 3,000 people got baptized, and it begins to spread among the Jewish people this message that our Messiah has arrived, and there's a change in regime. And the way that we used to live isn't exactly how God has planned for us now, and there's grace that replaces the law, and there's this, this whole thing that we got into some last week. Uh, their leaders were a guy named Peter, who was a very vocal mouthpiece of the apostles, and also a guy named James, who was Jesus' half-brother. And they were kind of the pastors of this first church in Jerusalem. That, that was the apostles' original mission and their original message. And then there's Paul, okay? Paul has a slightly different mission. His message is the same. Jesus is the only path to God. But his audience was a little bit different. We saw that Paul had gone up to Jerusalem to share with the original apostles his message to the Gentiles. Now let's talk about the Gentiles. Uh, literally, the Greek translation of the word that we say is Gentiles, the, the literal translation is the nations, the nations. Because in Jewish culture, there were basically two types of people. Either you were a Jew or you were the nations. Everybody else. They had a very much us and them mentality. And so 
Whereas the, the original apostles were there to, to reach the Jewish audience, Paul comes in with a different audience. He says, I'm going to reach the nations. Everybody else. Everybody else. Paul had a big mission. There are a lot of people who weren't Jewish in the world. There still are today. The majority of us. Now, from a marketing standpoint, that sounds great for the early church. You would have think that Peter and James would have been like, great. Great, we're like expanding our brand. Fantastic. Let's just send it out there. I mean, it's like McDonald's. Like we have our four millionth location on a raft somewhere in, you know, the Congo River in Africa. Fantastic. But the Jews, not so much. See, see they really liked keeping their faith close to home. And they really had a hard time associating with people who were outside of their culture. Paul had a big obstacle to overcome. Paul was a guy who grew up as a Jew. So he spends the better part of this 15 years getting used to his new reality. That God has opened up the gates of salvation to everybody. Everybody. It was the original message that God gave to Abraham way back in the Old Testament. That all nations will be blessed through you. Now Paul has spent a lot of time refocusing his heart and getting his head in gear to accept this basic change. But he was up against a big monster. Culture culture. See, the Jews didn't associate with Gentiles. At first, it was something that God had set up. Actually, it was a pretty good thing, because as the Jews kind of came to their own as a nation, uh, God saw that they were going to want to intermarry with other cultures and other societies. We do it all the time, right? It's a, it's a big thing. But, it, but what was happening was if they did that, they would be marrying into families that worshiped false gods, bowed down to idols, worshiped demons. And God says, obviously, we can't have that. We don't want that to come into our culture and, and, and you know, kind of ruin what I'm trying to set up here. And so he set up these boundaries. But over the years, those boundaries that God had set up for safety, the Jewish people had turned into a, a reason and a license to hate anyone different than them. They called the Gentiles all kinds of terrible names. We see several times in the Bible that they refer to them as uncircumcised dogs. Try to make friends on your first day of school calling everybody that, right? So they weren't very friendly to the, to the Gentiles. Now, you look at Paul, and before Paul became a Christian, he was probably like the Jewiest Jew there was. Like, he was so steeped in their religion and their culture and their society that you remember what he was trying to do. He was trying to shut down Christianity because it was undermining some of the principles that he wanted to live by. But after he became a Christian, he realized, no, God has opened up his heart and his salvation to the whole world. We've got to tell everyone. Before his is, 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 is a conversion, Paul would have been the leader of the racist Gentile hater club. Now he's been transitioned into the leader of the Gentile church. Now you got to imagine how much uh, just, just shifting of his brain and his ideology that had to happen for, for that to come about. And so that, that's important to understand. Okay, so we're going to skip down now to verse 11. Because an event is about to happen that all of that backstory that I just gave you is really going to come to a head. In verse 11, two things have happened that are very important before we read it. The first thing is this. Now, Paul had visited Jerusalem, which is kind of south of where we're going to be. So we're down in Jerusalem, and Paul had gone down to like the head of operations for the church. He'd met with the original apostles. He told them what he was preaching to the Gentiles, and the apostles were apparently cool with that. Now, there's some story there, and they, want, they had some adjustments they wanted to make to Paul's message. But all in all, they were, they were aware that Paul was now spreading the message of Jesus to the Gentiles. And so he had gone there. But the first thing you need to know is that Paul has now moved his, opera, his base of operations to a city called Antioch, which is north of Jerusalem. And in Antioch, this is pretty neat, these were the first Christians that actually began to call themselves Christians. 
That's pretty cool. So like no one had called each other Christians until this time, this church in Antioch. So pretty cool. Thanks, guys, Antiochians. Uh, the second thing we need to know is this. So he's moved his, his base of operations to Antioch. The second thing we need to know is this, is that after Paul had gone to visit the apostles in Jerusalem, this time Peter, the leader of the, of the Jerusalem church, is going to go up and visit Paul. Don't get confused. Paul, Peter, they both start P. It can get really mixed up in your brain. But you just got to understand, basically, one of the old apostles is going to visit the new church up in the new city with a new apostle. We're going to pick up in verse 11 because things heat up quickly. There's not a whole lot of setup for this moment, so get ready. We're jumping right in to a skirmish. Verse 11. So, oh, you also need to know this. Here throughout this passage, Paul is going to be calling Peter by his Greek name, Cephas. Okay, so when you hear Cephas, that's Peter. And it actually helps out because not all the P names. All right. So here we go, verse 11. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. What happened? Oh my goodness. Like they were just boys down in Jerusalem and now he's come up here and there's this argument. He's opposed to his face. Verse 12. For before certain men came from James, he, Cephas, used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The circumcision group, we talked about them last week. We called them the Judaizers. These were Christians who, though they were Christians, they felt like Christians need to follow the Jewish law also. So they were coming into some of these new uh, Gentile churches and saying, Lake, it's really great that you accepted Jesus, but let me tell you about the law of Moses, and these are some things that you have to do also. It's a big issue. Because Paul's going around saying, listen, you, don't, you can't be saved by the law. You can't be saved by your works. You can only truly be saved by Jesus' grace. That's the only way. So Peter comes up, these Judaizers come up, and all of a sudden, Peter's kind of being a jerk to the Gentiles. There are these people that have come to throw them a meal, and Peter decides, mm, I can't share a meal with Gentiles. And it wasn't just Peter. Look at verse 13. Other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Remember, I told you, Barnabas, that's Paul's boy, yet... Barnabas gives into the peer pressure of having Peter there. Now, uh, have you ever had one of those friends who's just embarrassing to take in public? I mean, I, I hope you haven't, but you probably have. You're like, dude, don't, don't open your mouth, okay? I'm about to be with my other friends, and they don't know about how weird you are. Like, just don't say those things, and then it's worse because the things they say are just inappropriate. You're like, oh, wow, yeah. Sorry, guys, he just, he'd been living under a rock. <laughs> Sorry, he didn't know. This is what's kind of happened can you imagine for just a second, Peter is a rock star in the church. This is Peter. Peter, the head of the original apostles. Peter, who in Acts chapter 2 spoke the very first sermon ever in Jerusalem, and 3,000 people got baptized that day. So you're a Jew. I mean, you're a new Christian. Sorry, you're a new Christian who's living up in Antioch, and you hear, oh, Peter's coming to visit? Sweet! It's like George Washington coming to your house, right? He's, he's one of the founders of our faith. That's fantastic. Hey, hey guys, let's, let's throw him a dinner. That'd be great. Have him over to the house. And Peter shows up. What does he do? He snubs you because of some racial tension. Because he doesn't really feel comfortable hanging out with the Gentiles. Because, man, that's just not what our people do. And not only that, his, his influence is so big that it begins to influence some of the other Jewish Christians. Like Barnabas, who knows better? But you know, Paul had gotten pretty comfortable with this new counterculture. He'd spent the better part of 15 years getting used to this idea. He's also not starstruck by Peter. <laughs> He's like, look, you know, Peter, you might be all that in a bag of donuts, but you can't be acting like that around these new Christians. And he says in verse 14, 
When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, remember that's Peter, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Put that in context, okay, because basically as a Christian leader, Peter himself, Cephas himself, had been going around saying, listen, Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the light. You can't be saved by the law. You can't be saved by these Jewish customs. You can't be saved by the things that you do. Peter had been preaching that. And so Paul's like, what? You've been telling everybody that they can do that, but, but yet these, these Gentile believers, they, they got to follow the law now? You're you going to suddenly snub them this way? Verse 15, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul's taking Peter to school here. Uh, you remember the gospel? You remember Jesus? Yeah, don't forget, that's the foundation of our whole thing here. So he teaches Peter that again. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. In other words, Paul takes Peter to school and says, listen, you can't come up here and act like that. You can't snub the Gentile believers. You can't act like you're suddenly too good to be with them. It's not okay. This whole moment, uh, it reminds me like, like a scene from the movie Remember the Titans. It's one of my favorite movies. If you haven't seen it, you've got you to check it out. But this is during the racial tension of, 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 of public school integration in the 60s and, and this, 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 these two football teams, one that's black school and white school, and they've got to play football together. You've got to see it. But there's all these moments. There's all these moments where this tension is there, and people forget the truth. Hey, we're on the same team. We're fighting together. We can do this together. And that's what's happened with Paul and Peter here. Dude, you can't act this way. Like most people, Peter knew better. But especially Peter. I got to remind you of something. If you don't remember, last year we did a teaching series through the book of Acts. And when you get to Acts is the teaching on how, the early church and how it started and then the apostles and how they got things going. In Acts chapter 10, we see that God kind of opens up the, the world to the, the Gentiles. And he says, listen, this faith is for the Gentiles. Guess who God gave that vision to? Do you remember? Peter. If anybody should know that the Gentiles are cool with God, it should be Peter. In fact, you might remember this better. Bacon Sunday. Remember Bacon Sunday? Yeah, that's why we did that. Because the whole thing about uh, the Jewish kosher law and they couldn't have uh, a pig. And we were like, hey, Bacon Sunday. God's opened up the doors. Remember that? We're going to have Bacon Sunday again uh, soon. So don't worry. Um, but us. Uh, yeah, some of you just woke up. Like, what? Bacon? Huh? Where's the bacon? Oh, not yet? Okay. Look at me up when it's bacon. Um, if anybody should know better, it's Peter. Yeah, he kind of puts his foot in his mouth. I really appreciate Peter's story because all throughout the New Testament, he's putting his foot in his mouth, like especially in front of Jesus, which must have been super embarrassing and awkward. I appreciate his story because he does that, but then he kind of comes out of that mess up, and he does better, and God forgives him. I appreciate Peter's story because it reminds me a lot of myself. I'm constantly letting my words get ahead of my brain and doing things that I shouldn't do and then pull it back going, oh, I knew better than that. And you can go to God and you can find that forgiveness. And so here's the reality, though. It takes a long time to change a culture. Even Peter forgot the foundation of what Jesus is all about. But the change of culture will never happen until people start to live counterculturally. Here's the key. The goal isn't just to be different. There are a lot of weirdos who are trying to change culture. They're just doing weird stuff. You ever been to Asheville? 
That's, that's, that's where that happens, okay? Um, and, and so it's, it's not just to be weird, just to be weird, which I'm all for weird, but it's to be different so you can make a difference, specifically leading people closer to God. Paul wasn't just trying to stir the pot. He was trying to say, no, we got to be different so we can point people to the love and the truth and the salvation of Jesus. There are a lot of countercultural things that will catch on and will change the world somewhat. Text messaging, the internet are some examples. Uh, when I was in elementary school, Nancy Reagan was telling us all to just say no. And I think it made a difference. It was good, right? And today, kids are being told, don't bully. Like, that's great. Those are good, good messages. But those messages only scratch the surface. They only deal with temporary things. There's only one message and only one man that can change the soul of a person. There's only one message, there's only one man can change the eternity of somebody. And that person and that message, it's Jesus. That's what Paul understands that he's trying to teach Peter. And so he's living counterculturally. He's going against the grain and saying, listen, we can't keep doing things the way we used to do them. Because Jesus is here. Jesus changes everything. You know, in Galatians chapter 2, Paul has called out Peter for hypocrisy. And it was bold. It was bold. Who has the guts to stand up to Peter, the, the founder of the church? Who, who has the guts to do that? Uh, Paul, if you read any of his other letters, you, he's not scared of many people. But it wasn't Paul's goal that the Jews and the Gentiles one day sit around a big campfire and hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Like that was, it probably would have been cool and it might have happened from time to time. I don't know if they sang Kumbaya. It was in Hebrew or Greek. I don't know. But like that wasn't his goal. It wasn't his goal just to bring people together so we could all agree on something. His goal was that more and more people would be pointed to a changed soul through Jesus. That was his goal. Being different to make a difference. And see, here's the thing. Once Jesus gets into people, not only does it change them, it begins to change the world. The counterculture begins to change the culture. And so we're almost done with chapter 2. And and, and when we get to verse 20, we're going to see one of the most famous passages that Paul ever wrote. It's one that you may have heard. Even if you've never opened a Bible, you might have seen this on a T-shirt or a billboard. It's it's a pretty pretty famous thing he said. And it's at the heart of the life-changing message of Jesus. In verse 19, it starts off. He says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. That made a lot of sense to Paul. It's hard to understand for Christians, but that's a big thing for him. But he gets to verse 20. Okay, this is the key. This is what he says. He says, because I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. A few years ago, there was a very popular song by the great pastor, reverend evangelist, uh, Carrie Underwood. <laughs> um, Jesus, take the wheel. Remember that? I don't know if she was thinking about Galatians 2.20 when she sings that song. Uh, I do know she's a, a believer, but like that's, that visual, Jesus, take the wheel, is Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. It's Christ who lives in me. It's this idea of saying, I am going to give up the, the, the controls of my life. Who I was before I knew Jesus got to be dead to me because I, I didn't get it. I didn't get it at all. When Jesus moved in, he changed me and he began to control me. He began to lead me. He began to guide me. He began to show me the better way. He connected me with the love of God. Jesus, take the wheel. Who I was is not who I am because I've let Jesus' priorities change me. I've let Jesus' love guide me. I've let my eyes become his eyes. And we talk about being the hands and feet of Jesus because Jesus 
lives in us. That's the message of the gospel. I've been crucified with Christ so that I no longer live. But it's Christ who lives in me. And when this happens, two extremely important things happen in our lives. And I don't want you to miss this. This is huge. It's like very simple, two points. I hope that it's memorable. Write it down. Think about it. Because when these things happen in our lives, you begin to see a change. The first thing is this. As you let Jesus take over, you begin to see others as God sees them. You begin to see others as God sees them. Think about that. If, if Jesus is leading your life, and you kind of see with his eyes, and you kind of do things that are important to him, you start seeing people not as annoying or <laughs> in the way, but suddenly a child of God, just like the song we just sang said. You start to see people the way that God sees them. I'm going to tell you something. When you try to do that, it changes the way you view people. Suddenly, uh, Peter's not going to have a hard time eating with the Gentiles because he's going to realize, it's by grace that I've been saved through faith. I, I'm, I'm not even worthy to sit anywhere and eat with anybody, but God has given me a way out, and so he gets to share this meal. When, when Jesus moves in, we begin to see others the way that he sees them. That's why Jesus says we should love others with all of our heart and our soul, our mind and our strength. Oh, no, he says that about God. We should love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but we should just love others as we love ourselves, which is key. It's key because there's a second thing that happens when Jesus kind of moves in and starts to lead us, and this is it, that you begin to see yourself as God sees you. You see, like, the first thing is we begin to see others as God sees them, but sometimes we still, like, we reserve judgment on ourselves. There's a lot of different ways this can go, so I'm going to be quick about it. But the one thing that I see is a lot of people say, I know that God's willing to forgive me, but, man, I just can't, I just can't forgive myself. I can't let go of the things that are happening in my past. I can't, I can't be redefined. Like, there's all of that going on. There's guilt, there's shame. And listen, that's part of how God renews us and he heals us. He lets that kind of weigh on our hearts. But when we know what God does in us, we can begin to see ourselves the way that God sees us. And you know what we receive through that? Identity. And an identity that is not based on what other people view us as, but an identity that's based on what God sees us as. And this is huge. Because when we see ourselves the way that God sees us, we start measuring ourselves differently. Here's a small example. Our view of who we are is based so much on what we think other people think about us. I'll give you an example. When you got dressed this morning, there's a good chance that you have in your mind the kind of thing that you should look like. Am I the kind of guy that wears cowboy boots? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Why, why do we even think that? I don't know. At some point, someone said, hey, you know what, you're, a, you're like a, a punk rock guy. You're a, you're a redneck. You're, you're a thug. Like, <laughs> that's what you look like. That's how you got to carry yourself. Because we let other people give us identity. We let our surroundings give us identity. We let our upbringing give us identity. But when Christ moves in, we can begin to see ourselves as God sees us. You're a child of God. You are redeemed and you're saved by his grace. Everything else is secondary. And you can begin to say, I, I can be different. I can get out of my old problems. I, I can start to do different things. Why? Because I've been crucified with Christ. It's not only, no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. He's changing me. He's renewing me. He's transforming me. And once Jesus moves in, we get used to letting him lead our lives. It's not easy at first. It takes a long time to change a culture, even if it's just your culture. But as we get used to him teaching us how to live differently, how to love differently, how to see ourselves differently, how to see the world differently, how to serve, we change, and then we begin to act differently. Why? Because what's important to God is important to us. 
And what he values, we value. And where he cries, we cry. Where he hurts, we hurt. And where he rejoices, we rejoice. And suddenly when we do that, we start to say, well, I can't act like the rest of the world is acting. We start to live counterculturally. We start to have the boldness to say, I can't do that. Like, I know that all the other families are doing this with their, fam- with their time and with their, their money and with their kids. But guys, we can't, we can't do that because we're going to live differently. I know that the guys at work are talking about this and telling those jokes and this and that, but pff, I just, I can't do that anymore. I know that some people's biggest goal in life is to get rich and famous and have a big retirement somewhere on a yacht somewhere, but you know what? It's just not a priority to me anymore. We begin to live counterculturally, and it is a subculture the counterculture begins to change the culture. It changes the way that your family interacts with one another and the way you treat your neighbor and the way that you act at work. And guys, for over 2,000 years, that is exactly what the church has been doing in this world. Over and over and over. Changing society. Some of the biggest changes that have happened to improve society have become because Christian people stood up and said, this isn't what God wants from us. We've got to do differently. We've got to act differently. We've got to love differently. We've got to put Jesus at the center of what we're doing. It's easy to be chained to the world that we live in. But guys, we live in a sad, faithless, hopeless society. And it's bleak. But the good news is, we don't have to live that way. Jesus can move in, he can change us, and he can help us create a subculture among your peers that will change culture to make a difference, to lead people to Jesus, to change their soul for eternity. That's Galatians chapter 2. Before I, I pray, I just got to share one last thing kind of on a personal level. Um, Jesus has changed everything for me. He has. When I, as an adult, decided that I'm going to start pursuing Jesus with my life, and, and I started to allow him to impact me. Uh, look, I'm, I'm Peter a lot of times. <laughs> I'm the guy who slips back into my old mindset and screw up, but I am so thankful that I've got brothers and sisters who will call me out and say, bro, that is not what you're about. Let's get back on board. And I've loved growing with this community, this family of mine here, and say, man, let's do this together. Look, let's one by one, step by step, begin to change this society, this culture. Why? How? By pointing our lives at Jesus. And so maybe you're in a position right now where you're like, I don't know. I don't know if Christianity is really all mine. Like, I kind of come to church some, but I've never really professed my faith out loud. I've never really done some of the things. You know, in the Bible, when people become Christians, the first thing they do is just say, yeah, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, and I want him to save my soul. And then, like, the very next thing they do is they say, well, what should we do? And some leader goes, well, let's, let's baptize you, like, as a, as a significant symbol of what God is doing in you. And at that moment in baptism, it's like a, it's like a covenant, like a, like a marriage ceremony with God. Where he says, look, I'll meet you there. Acts chapter 2 says that when, you, when you're baptized into Christ, I forgive you of your sins. I'll give you my Holy Spirit. We can begin this journey together. Maybe that's for you today. Maybe that's something that you say, you know, I, I see the change. I want the change in my life because I want to make a difference in this world. I want to lay that out there because if that's you today, come talk to me. Uh, my name's Chris. Uh, if we haven't met before, I want to I change that. Or you can talk to anybody that was on the stage, one of our volunteers. They can get you started in that path. But you can be unchained. You can be set free to be no longer a slave to fear and pain and hurt, but be truly a child of God. Let's pray this morning. God, I praise you for your goodness. I thank you for the fact that you give us redemption, that you give us salvation, that you give us a second chance. I, I, this story was kind of about how Peter messed up, but 
I really appreciate as I look and see that he did write two other books in the Bible. And in those books, he, he kind of sets the record straight on where he stands. And so I know that Peter had a, a change of heart. And I appreciate that about him. Lord, help us as a people to be a counterculture that will change culture. Shine light in dark places to make our families and our workplaces and our neighborhoods and our city a place that not only is just different, but makes a difference and leads people to you. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.